You are listening to Tech Grind, behind the scenes of leading high-tech ecosystems, with your host, Nadav Kedar. Hey, and welcome to the new season of Tech Grind, behind the scenes of leading tech ecosystems. Today on the show, I will be talking to Miriam Schwab, CEO and founder of Stratic. Hey, Miriam. Hi. Hello, hello. Her track record is so exciting. She's one of those people that you just can't put in one category. So I'll share with our listeners a few milestones along her path. Miriam is an entrepreneur and she served as the CEO of Illuminia, a full service open source development agency with clients all over the globe. Illuminia was acquired by Leverage IT. She is also the founder of Stratic, an all-in-one static site generation and hosting platform that instantly optimizes WordPress websites. Stratic has recently raised an oversubscribed funding round of $6.5 million. And beyond her amazing work in her companies, she is a mentor and helps other entrepreneurs succeed. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Nadav. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Um, so today, we want to talk a bit about your path, what you have done and achieved, uh, which is really very exciting, and um, talk a bit about fundraising. Oh, well, that's getting straight to the point. <laughs> uh, well... Fundraising for a startup means making sure that the startup has the oxygen that it needs in order to keep progressing and achieving its goals, milestones, and vision. Uh, why is that? Why is it different than other businesses? It's the business model. The model is about uh, um, investing heavily in the beginning and growth, um, which means that companies aren't break even or profitable from the start, and fundraising is the fuel for that growth. Um, it's a model that works really well, as we've seen from many of the successes in the world of startups. So as a startup ourselves, um, we have to fundraise and uh, make sure that we at Stratic have the fuel for our growth. Um, people uh, sometimes, particularly being a company in the WordPress space, where uh, you know going the, the startup growth route isn't very common at all. Uh, very a lot of people in the industry ask, you know, why did you choose to go that route? So from the start, we um, decided that we were going to be a venture-backed growth company um, because WordPress, which is the industry or the market that we're targeting, is huge. It's 43% of the internet. And in order to capture that audience, you need to grow, um, you know, well and quickly um, and effectively and uh, just to capture that value. So. So we decided that uh, we're going to be a different business model. Right. And, um, and as you said, yeah. WordPress, uh, I want to stop on that for a sec. WordPress takes up uh, about 40% of the websites made on the internet. Um, right. Other The other uh, side of the pie, how does that go? Close the code platforms? Uh, so there's, you know... Um, the, the internet is comprised of different platforms and approaches to creating websites. And generally, those websites are based on uh, a CMS or content management system. 
and um, the content management system breakdown, uh, even until today, is that most sites run on open source content management systems. Um, so, so the biggest is of course WordPress, and then there's Joomla and Drupal, which which still power. I think Joomla is maybe like two percent of all websites, or one percent, and, and Drupal is maybe two percent. Um, and then there's different. Uh, other different like open source approaches, uh, particularly in this emerging uh, trend known as the Jamstack, which we can get into. Uh, and there is open source tooling there. But just to give you an idea of the context of WordPress's gigantic market share. So WordPress at the moment powers 43% of all websites on the internet. That means that one in every two to three websites that you visit is a WordPress site. The next largest CMS is Shopify with 4%. Okay, so you've got 4% and then you've got 43%. So the internet is by far powered by open source and by far powered by WordPress. Mm -hmm. And people often say, well, okay, but those WordPress sites, what are they? They're like hobby blogs or like whatever amateur websites. So no, 40% of all enterprise companies have a WordPress site within their you know collection of sites that they have under management. So um WordPress powers everything from, yeah, a hobby blog all the mm -hmm. way up to Disney's 400 plus websites. Um, and basically, you know, just an example of a large enterprise company running WordPress uh, is still the, the CMS of choice. The, the next one is a closed proprietary system. It's Adobe Experience Manager. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, it, it, caught, it caught on quite strongly in the world of enterprise as an enterprise solution, but it's very limiting. Um, and a lot of enterprise companies are coming to the realization that, yeah, it's got the packaging of enterprise, except for that they, they're they just really limited, even like on basic mm -hmm. things related to SEO, which in WordPress, we don't even think twice about it. It's there either out of the box or with a, a useful plugin that you can install in one second, like Yoast SEO. So mm -hmm. so yeah, so that's kind of the, the makeup of, of the internet. Um, but like I said, WordPress is, by far the market leader and it continues to, to grow at a significant pace. So I have uh, like 10 questions that, uh, that already <laughs> arrived uh, while you were talking, but just before that, <laughs> just before that, I want our listeners to get a bit of a background about you and get to know you a bit better. So today, as we said, you're the CEO and uh, founder of Stratic and you have Co -founder. a amazing team there, co-founder. You have an amazing team there. We'll talk about that in a sec. But I wanted to ask you a bit about your path that led up to what you do today. A bit of a milestone walk, let's call it. Okay. Uh, so many, many years ago, I think it must be like 15 years ago now, um, I started to explore the world of uh, website development. It was something that interested me a lot. And also I wanted more flexibility in my personal life. I had just given birth to my fourth child and uh, I had been working in intellectual property, um, which was really interesting, but there wasn't much farther I could go in that because I didn't have a science degree. So you mm -hmm. can't become a, a patent attorney and, uh, and technology always interested me and, and the world of marketing plus digital or, you know, was really fascinating to me. So I started to teach myself to build websites and then I wanted to explore the world of content management systems so that if I built a website for someone, they could manage the content themselves, found WordPress, fell in love with it and started to actually offer that as a service. And um, that 
picked up as the internet started to move towards um, wanting WordPress more and more because it has a lot of benefits that proprietary systems don't have. And at that time, companies were just using proprietary systems, more or less. So that's around 2007? Yeah, I think so. Something wow. like that. Wow. <laughs> Dinosaur. Dinosaur era. <laughs> this is so before. Let's let's put it in context. Before the uh, big crash of 08, right? Yeah, I guess so. Well, wow. I can actually calculate it based on how old that kid is now. She's seventeen. Mm -hmm. We're in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, actually. So yeah. Um, so it's also before. Also context. It's before the big boom of the iPhone. Right. I, yes, that's right. Wow. When we were right, when I started building websites, mobile wasn't something we had to take into consideration. Wow. Oh my and God. yeah, <laughs> real dinosaur years. And then I remember all the mobile solutions that started coming about, like um, M dot. I don't know if you remember that. People would do M dot sites, so you had to manage like two sites. But then the world of responsive mobile development came about, which was like, wow, this is incredible because it just didn't make sense to manage content in two places for different platforms. So. Um, so yeah, so we started doing mobile, responsive mobile development. Well, yeah. So I've seen a lot. <laughs> in <the world> of <laughs> internet. It's, it's unbelievable because we, we live in, a, in an age that um, someone like you has seen the internet from pretty much its most basics to what's going on today, where we call it the, what, the three or four, depends how you define it, of the metaverse, which, you know, like, I, I think that, like uh, there was a uh, conversation in the early 2000s of what this internet thing is going to be, the same conversation is going on right now of, of what the yeah. metaverse will be and what will be built and like a white piece of paper. Yeah, it's true. So seeing the conversations around Web3 reminds me a lot about the conversations around Web2, mm -hmm. Web2.0. So Web2.0... Um, was like a shift from standalone websites. Where, where, where the user creates the content. It was, the, it was like a shift to more mm. user-generated content, which WordPress was already kind of there because of the content management system. The reason why WordPress has seen so much growth is that it's so user-friendly. Like uh, they were known for their easy five-step installation process. Um, mm -hmm. which not everyone can handle, but it was really five steps to get up and running with a WordPress site. And then eventually hosting companies just started having one click installation. And once you have a WordPress site, you, the user can create any content you want really easily. You don't really have to learn any additional skills. Um, then the whole internet started shifting towards this, um, shift of power that everyone can create content on the web and have it out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also there's a, an additional layer of connectivity that was created between people and web, web entities online. So, right, like uh, just, you know, Facebook, people being able to connect to each other. And so their content is seen by their connections or whatever. Mm -hmm. Even websites started to have connections. So um, WordPress has this functionality called trackbacks where I can reference your blog post and then you can have you can get a ping about that and then display that so it started to create this level of inter interconnectivity interconnectivity which is key to what the internet has become today so um it's like social activity taken from our real lives and put it online and just that's what you know that makes a lot of sense and it's what people want
So you had a company uh, building uh, websites and doing the also the marketing, right, for um, companies on WordPress. Um, and that was, again, uh, acquired. So uh, after starting to work on Stratic, um, I still had Illuminea and it still needed my attention, which was very challenging because I knew that if I wanted to build a tech company um, seriously and properly, I needed to give it my full attention. Um, and I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to be able to manage that, like what was going to happen with Illuminea, would I shut it down, which is complicated. And also it had a lot of value. We had amazing customers, clients, like top tech companies in, in the Israeli ecosystem and universities and nonprofits, but big serious ones. And even some government was working with, with Illuminea on their websites and on their ongoing maintenance. And it seemed like a shame to just kind of shut it all down. And then um, I, I knew the founder of Leverage and uh, it just made sense for them to have to create a presence in Israel. And this was actually a good way for them to do that, kind of hit the ground running. And it was a good way for me to hand over Illuminea to um, hands that I trusted would take it and, you know, continue to give the level of service and quality that we did. Because um, I didn't want to just hand over our customers to anybody also. That was something that was, uh, I, I didn't know how I was going to do. And we had like an overlap period where, you know, we handed customers off and we, you know, explained how we work with mm -hmm. them. And, mm -hmm. uh, right. and that worked, that went really well, thank God. And um, that's yeah, actually so really that, rare to have such a uh, friendly acquirer and, and to have such a, yeah, an easy and a, not easy, but, uh, but again, friendly, uh, um, handover. That's amazing. I am very grateful to them. And also it was, you know, some people call it the stars align or fate or whatever, but the timing was perfect. And I, I call mm -hmm. it Siasa <laughs> which we, <laughs> thank God. Um, <laughs> and it, it really, it works out well. So, uh, and they, they continue to be active and, um, you know, I send, I send references to them, not because I get anything out of it because, but because I believe mm -hmm. in the level of their yeah. service. So that, that enabled me to free up my focus to be a hundred percent on Stratic, uh, which was great. And I was also very excited about work on Stratic. I had been managing, um, Illuminea and we'd been building websites for customers for over a decade. And I was all, what was good about it was that it was always interesting. We were always learning. That's really important to me. I, like, I always want to be progressing, learning. And so every customer that came our way was a new opportunity to learn about working with people in different, you know, in different industries as well. We had, we had clients that were mm -hmm. coming from, from cyber and just general SaaS and, and even some B2C and, you know, it was always really fascinating, but I, I felt like I had kind of learned all I could from that uh, mm -hmm. work. And I wanted to now learn what it is to build a growth company. So, so I was really excited to be able to focus on that. And, uh, and that's what I did. And then my partner, Josh Lawrence joined me. I had started working on it on my own. The concept for Strata came from my experience working in the world of WordPress mm -hmm. uh, and being very, I'm quite active in the world of WordPress. I organized five uh, WordCamps in Israel. WordCamps are the official WordPress conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, so I did five of those and that was like my way of kind of giving back to the community because WordPress is a, is a free platform, free in terms of it being open source and free in terms of it, there being no charge to use it. So 
the, the ecosystem in WordPress is very much based on um, also how can we share information and knowledge with each other. So, so that was, so I did that, which is great. And I contribute in other ways, speaking at the international WordPress conferences to also share my knowledge. So yeah, so I'm like very, very familiar with the world of WordPress and I know all the strengths and all the weaknesses very from up close. And that's where the concept so, of track came yeah, from. Yeah, I, I, from, from the names in, in the team and yourself, you all are quite uh, big names in the world of uh, WordPress, as you said, um, and every one of you in their kind of uh, field. So it really makes sense this path or the, the next step that you took to uh, found uh, Stratic. And there, as you said, uh, like every startup, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the product in a sec, but every startup, uh, when, when I talk to uh, entrepreneurs or small businesses, I always say that the difference a startup has, the, one of the differences between a startup and a regular business is that you have this R&D phase that you have to go through where you're operating at loss and that's pretty much the area of the valley of death and you have to go through that many times you go through that by uh, raising funds or bootstrapping usually through raising funds so if you can say a word about the product itself and why uh, this makes websites more secure that's the uh, maybe the short part and after that let's talk a bit about the funding and how that went so I'll talk about the product first and why why we created it. WordPress is uh, an amazing platform. It's been around for 18 years. It continues to be developed. It's used, like I said, by over 43% of the internet and it continues to grow. So, um, and the reason that that is the case is that it has a lot of things going for it. It's open source, like totally. So you have full control over what you want it to do for you. It has a very robust integration and a plugin ecosystem. So if you're like a marketer and you're using WordPress, you can easily just tie it into your marketing stack and, and be ready to go. You can easily create landing mm -hmm. pages. Like you, it's your power tool. It's familiar to a lot of people because it's been around for so long. You know, you've got millions of people around the world who have all used WordPress in one way or another. So it's not like they're like, if, if they have to face a WordPress site and start using it, they can get up and running also pretty quickly. And it's very flexible, et cetera. So it's got, it's got a lot going for it. On the other hand, its stack, uh, which is built on, which is called the LAMP stack, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP, is um, it's considered legacy. You know, it, it was, you know, the, the best thing since sliced bread about like 12, 18 years ago, even 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, because it gave the users a lot of power and it was open source. So it was, uh, it just, it just gave a ton, a ton of people a ton of power, but, mm -hmm. um, the internet has evolved since then. We mentioned web 2.0 and um, the needs have, have evolved and it's kind of more demanding. And so the stack in some ways has trouble keeping up with the needs of, of the modern web. And in particular, the areas where the pains are most felt are security, speed or performance and scalability. So I'll go through each of them. Security, when you're running a WordPress site on the LAMP stack, you have got many, many layers of potential vulnerabilities, starting from the LAMP stack itself, which needs to be patched and updated for security vulnerabilities, to WordPress itself. WordPress itself rarely has security vulnerabilities, but it does. Like 
two weeks ago, it had some major security vulnerability that um, it was highly strongly recommended everyone updates. And then the plugins. Plugins are the main point of um, of weakness for WordPress sites. And it's... Um, when I talk about websites with uh, other people or business owners or company owners, it's it's quite astonishing to, to see that many of the things that we take as really basic are unknown. And uh, I want everyone or as many people as possible, as many of our listeners to be uh, attentive to this. Um, so basically you you said that the WordPress is the open source. I want to emphasize one thing there. This creates your own asset beyond everything else. You, let's say you have your social uh, uh, channels and you have your website and you have your email list uh, or any other, uh, assets your wordpress website is owned by you it's the asset of the brand and as you talked about the uh, plugins so little pieces of uh, uh of software that as said plug into your website and allows you to do a much quicker and easier job right right exactly yeah okay so just um, a small clarification yeah. there yeah, so the plugins are little pieces. Each one is exactly what you said. It's a little piece of software that you can install in your WordPress site. And instead of, let's say, developing out functionality for something, you can just, in one click, have that functionality added to your site. Um, and this plugin ecosystem is very robust and very active. There's 57,000 plugins in the official WordPress mm -hmm. plugin repository, and that doesn't include the uh, plugins that are called premium, which uh, you pay for outside of the ecosystem. So, you know, people, almost anything that you need, you can find there. But with great power comes great responsibility. And it means that every plugin that you have installed in your site needs attention in terms of how it's functioning. So that particularly comes into play around security. Every one of those plugins can have security vulnerabilities. Every week, there's multiple vulnerabilities that are announced and published. And that's good because it means that users will know to update but it's also not good because it means that hackers will now know about these vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And if they act fast, so hackers basically scrape sites, find sites that are running WordPress, and then they try to hack them through various vulnerabilities that are known and published, and uh, they can have a pretty high success rate. So basically they can uh, pretty much go uh, read about the vulnerabilities with the statistics that uh, never 100% uh, of the people update or many exactly. uh, most don't. And then you kind of brute force your way uh, into the websites that uh, have not updated yet. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, the fact that one in every two to three sites are, are a WordPress site, and then in general, it's estimated that at any given point in time, 70% of sites have a vulnerability. If you're a hacker, that's a really great ROI. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you should go for it, right? You're gonna you're gonna have some level of success somewhere if you try to breach those sites. Um, so it, you know, it comes down to the fact that WordPress is such a huge has such a huge market share, and also it has such a robust ecosystem of plugins and extensions that it's like also a great ground for hackers. So um, so there's the security thing. Now, of course, you can keep your site secure if you're always on top of it, et cetera, et cetera. But I can tell you, as a WordPress expert myself. If you drop the, you can drop the ball for a second, like, and why you can say, well, why don't you do automatic upgrades of everything? Mm -hmm. And this comes to the other issue around plugins. 
if you automatically upgraded all your plugins, things can break. There can be conflicts mm -hmm. between them and conflicts between the plugin and your theme that you're running for your WordPress site. And so you don't want to just automatically update everything on your production site because that could cause other issues around it not being like whole. Right. So that's that's around the plugins. And, and security. And then the other issue is performance. So when you're running the LAMP mm -hmm. stack, uh, what it's essentially doing is every time a user requests to view a page, it generates the page for them on the fly at that time, which is part of what gives WordPress so much power because I can like have dynamic functionality, dynamic content, you know, plugged into the page um, as needed for the users. Same time, that process is very resource intensive and heavy. And so, your the server that your site's working on running on has a finite amount of resources that's just how it is and you can try to plan and make sure that you have enough resources always but a that can be expensive like you don't want to run servers that could support like google if for a site for a site because at one moment it might need a huge amount of resources um mm -hmm. and uh and also you can end up under resourcing your site under provisioning. So then in that case, um, you know, you're just running the server as is, but then something happens. And the something that happens could be something good. It could be you have a lot, you get a lot of PR somewhere, or you run a really successful campaign, you get a lot of traffic to the site, and the site can't handle it. And then it can slow down like crazy or crash. Um, so between all of those processes that are happening, it impacts the speed and performance and the scalability of the site which means that site owners are always like, it's always something that there is on their mind or they're dealing with or having to address. Um, and that can be exhausting for them. And also just kind of impossible to, to just always do that perfectly. Just back to the security thing. So often people mm -hmm. will say, well, okay, so my WordPress site is, has vulnerabilities. What do I care? It's not storing personal data, right? A lot of WordPress sites don't store anybody's data. And it's not my actual application. So, okay, so it gets hacked, who cares? Okay, well, there's a lot of reasons to care about your site getting hacked. And I'm always amazed by this comment. That just shows how little some organizations care about marketing and sales. <laughs> I don't know, I don't understand it. But like, if someone is checking out your site and you're running campaigns to drive leads and your site is now redirecting them to Viagra-like ads, which can be what happens, Okay, first of all, you're losing out on those leads and those potential sales. And it's also terrible for reputation. And it's yeah, also you're causing damage to your yeah, mm -hmm. it's causing damage to your users. And if you care at all about your SEO rankings, your search engine optimization, then you should know that Google will pick up on the fact that your site is infected with malware, maybe before you. And then you'll suddenly start to see your site dropping in rankings. And you're like, yeah, what's going on? Maybe because these hackers maybe even penalize it and get penalized exactly mm -hmm. you start going down because google's like i don't want to be directing people to a site that's full of malware and can cause damage to them so suddenly you're moving down in the rankings and then maybe you even disappear from search altogether and the reason for that is that the people who are hacking your site do it in a way that you might not notice but your visitors who are coming from different places are getting redirected to malicious content so google's going to penalize you and then you're like all right fine so i'll fix it okay First of all, hackers leave back doors in your site. So you think you fixed it, and then the next minute, it's all back. So that means that you have to divert a lot of resources 
and keep trying to fix this thing and clean it up. And that's valuable time. And why even get there in the first place? Then you have to tell Google, Google, my site's clean. Please put us back. And then that takes time as well. So all the hard work you put into making sure your site ranks is now just down the drain and you have to rebuild it. Like why, why even go there to begin with? Why tolerate mm-hmm. security vulnerabilities and hacking for your WordPress site, which is your front facing site. This is how people know you and see you and get to know you. Like, I don't understand that, but I'm addressing it because it comes up. You should care about your front facing mm-hmm. company, WordPress websites, security. <laughs> <laughs> agreed <laughs> totally agreed so you're talking about security and the performance um so we have a general picture of why this is why all these uh areas are very important so now on your product how how does stratic help with all that okay right so of course you <laughs> to explain what stratic does to solve that okay so um, I mentioned that all of these issues come from the fact that you're running your WordPress site on a LAMP stack all the time. Um, and at any given time, any of these issues can become an issue for you. And you just don't know when. And usually it happens at the most inconvenient time. So what Stratic does is it um, is a very different way, approach to hosting your WordPress site and deploying it. So basically Stratic is an end-to-end platform that converts your WordPress site to a different architecture known as static and headless. And we do it in one click. And I'll explain what that means. So you still have your WordPress site. And the reason that's important is because, like I mentioned, people are used to managing their sites in WordPress. It's their power tool. It has all the integrations. So you still have your WordPress site, but it's hosted in Stratic in an isolated containerized environment. What that means is only uh, you and your team have permission to access that WordPress site. None of the hacker bots or other bots on the web have any access to it. It's shut off from the internet, but you can manage the site as usual. You do whatever you want to do, install your plugins, create landing pages, create new content. And then we add a button to the WordPress admin area. So your WordPress site is isolated. When you finish making your content changes, updates, whatever you've done, you click the red static button that we add to the WordPress admin. The WordPress admin is where you log in to manage your content and everyone can click a button. When you click that button, it kicks off a process that generates a static replica of your WordPress site. What is a static replica? We essentially slice the front end of your site off of the back end. So when a user visits your site, they're seeing the front end, which is your content pages. But on regular WordPress, they're always tightly intertwined with the back end of the site. On Stratic, we just take the front end content as it's created and we push it away from the WordPress admin. So that new version of the site looks exactly the same acts exactly the same, but it's just a collection of static files, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, images, video, whatever you have. And all of that LAMP stack and all of WordPress is left behind and is not accessible to the internet. The benefit of running the site in that static format, it's also known as headless because it, the front end is the head uh, and the back end, like they're now decoupled, they're disconnected. So it's, it's called headless. Um, the advantage of running your site in that format is that there's nothing to hack basically like there's always something to hack right like someone can always breach something but the attack surface is reduced by over 99.9 percent all of the lamp stack and the wordpress and the plugins and all potential vulnerability layers they're not there it's just static Mm -hmm. files and hacking a static file server is really hard like there's you would have to make a tremendous amount of effort which is not necessarily worth it so there's nothing yeah if if i uh have this correctly in my mind a website 
in the bottom line of things is a uh, is is a stack of code, and you show the end user just or you give him kind of access or semi access when you view or you give them a view to only part of the code, and therefore they can't really do anything even if they want. We give them only it? access to HTML. CSS and JavaScript. So mm -hmm. that means the parts of the website that normally have some kind of like endpoint or gateway or door in, they're all gone. The only mm -hmm. door in is super duper locked on once the site's a statically generated site, particularly we run off of Amazon Web Services. And there's, you, there's no, you'd have to breach Amazon essentially. Okay. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, so um, there's not like, it's just, there's nothing to, to hack there. Um, so the security concerns are gone, like that, are, that the general security concerns of running WordPress site are gone. Once the site is statically generated on Stratic. Uh, we have a lot of customers who came to us for the security benefits. They don't, they're themselves security oriented companies or they just don't want to ever have to think about it. And for them, being hacked could be incredibly embarrassing and just time consuming cleaning up. So, mm -hmm. and even we have customers who came to us so that they can show their own customers that they are a security oriented company. Mm -hmm. They don't even necessarily care so much, but like their customers do due diligence on them, their SaaS companies, let's say. And they want to show that their, their front facing website is, is as secure as their application. So that's the security benefit. The other one is related to performance and speed. So because every page is pre-rendered for the user and not rendered on the fly for the user, they load super fast. The experience mm -hmm. of browsing a site on Stratic is completely different. It's just like click, 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 and everything's there. And it's, it's even faster because it's fully served up through a content delivery network. A content delivery network makes your site available in hundreds of edge locations around the world. Mm -hmm. So in standard WordPress, you are hosting your WordPress in an actual physical location, let's say Texas, and someone from Europe wants to view your site. They so they have to go across the ocean and actually request the site. Like it's the the physical mm -hmm. distance mm -hmm. actually matters. Yeah. There's latency there, but on Stratic, because the site is now in a static architecture, it can be fully served up through a CDN. So and that's what we offer all of our customers. And so that means if someone's in Australia, they get the site from the location that's closest to them. If they're in Europe they're in Asia, whatever, the site is served to them from the best location. So it's fast because it's pre-rendered and also fast because it's located everywhere. And then scaling, once the site is statically generated, there's no, there are no more issues around scaling a site to support traffic influxes. So we've had sites that have gotten crazy amounts of traffic uh, all at once, like bursts, and nobody feels it. And wow. a lot of our, wow. yeah, it just, we'll notice it afterwards and we're like, Oh, huh, look at that spike. Like almost like that. And, um, wow. we have oh, customers man. who are still used to running regular WordPress and they'll be like, okay, we're about to run a campaign. Do we need to like provision any additional resources? And we're like, Nope, have yeah. fun. <laughs> like You're good. <laughs> Just do your thing. So all of that headache is gone. So, but on your packages, you do give a uh, bandwidth limit, right? So how, how yeah, do so those it's right. So we will never limit someone's bandwidth and be like, oh, you reached, so other hosting companies do this, uh -huh. by the way. When okay. users start using more resources, they'll slow down the site and then force the user to upgrade. So 
we have bandwidth limits in place so that basically our customers don't turn their sites into video streaming services oh, okay. like on Stratic or something like yeah. that. Um, but there's some overage charges that may be charged depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. But we'll never slow down a site or stop a site from okay. being served. It will be addressed afterwards. So sites will always scale smoothly and instantly. And basically the overall benefit of Stratic that our users get, in addition to the specifics of speed, security, and scalability, is peace of mind. When you're running a WordPress site in its regular format, you never know when you're going to need to address something. Something breaks, something this, blah, 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 speed, mm -hmm. uh, scaling. No, mm -hmm. on Stratic, once the site's deployed as a static version of the site, it's very, very resilient. And even if your WordPress site that's hosted by us breaks because someone updates a plugin that they shouldn't have updated, it's fine. Like, fix it, but you can fix it like calmly instead of like under tremendous pressure because your right. production site's now broken right so it's peace of mind so product wise the the company really is amazing team wise it's amazing and the, as you said clients are joining uh really quickly onto the platform so i wanted to get to the point of the funding that you raised uh, less of the amount and more of the process, because I think that this is something that however um, strong and good your company is, it's a struggle. And I know from entrepreneurs, I, I know from uh, startups myself that I built, how much of a struggle it is to uh, raise funds. And by the way, our uh, New Year's special episode was about raising funds. So I wanted to ask you about what how did that go in your company? How did you see that process? But I'll ask you first, why did you feel that you wanted to go for a uh, funding round? So from the beginning, we decided to be uh, a growth company, which means that um, venture funding is really important for that, to support that. And so really from the beginning, um, we were raising funding. So, you know, we raised a pre-seed to build out our initial team and our initial product and onboard our first customers to prove that people would want this and use this and also to learn from them. Mm -hmm. um, and that got us to a certain point, our pre-seed funding, but we knew that if we wanted to take it to the next level, we needed to raise uh, a seed round. As we progressed with the product, it became more and more apparent to us how technologically complex and challenging it is and would be to build, and we needed to really invest in it. Uh, the reason for that is that WordPress being an open ecosystem, there's a lot of uh, just, it's, it's, I call every WordPress site like a snowflake. Um, there's just a lot of different use cases and things happening there. We needed to be able to support as much as possible while also emulating dynamic functionality on the static site. So for example, a user on Stratic can build their forms using popular WordPress plugin forms like form plugins like uh, Contact Form 7 or Gravity Forms, and then that form will still work on the static version of the site. Technically, that is not normally the case, but on Stratic it is. We wanted to make sure that people could have a very smooth onboarding experience that's as close to using WordPress as possible. Um, and that would demand a lot of work. And also all the while, making sure that the user experience is distilled down to one button because the day-to-day -day users of WordPress are marketers and content creators and are not developers. So we knew that that process needed to be something that was not complex 
So making sure that a very complex thing happens when someone clicks the button is very, very intense. <laughs> and um, so we knew we needed to invest in that and uh, and take Strata to the next level. So we set out to raise our seed round. Um, we met with basically every investor that existed at the time in Israel. Um, this was in 2019. And they all said no. Um, but we are very persistent people. And so we weren't <laughs> going to just lie down and die. And we strongly believed and continue to believe that the internet needs this product. It's a no brainer for us at mm -hmm. least <laughs> to that and our users that this is where WordPress needs to go. WordPress is gonna to continue to grow. It continues to be a great platform. It just needs to be taken to the future of the web, like the present and the future. And Stratic is one way of doing that. So, um, we were very fortunate uh, that we, someone here, like a friend of mine, actually, she really believed in what we were doing. And um, she connected us with Eric Ries, the author of the startup book, which is like the startup mm -hmm. Bible. Mm -hmm. And we scheduled a half hour call with him. It ended up being an hour and a half. He was mm -hmm. super enthusiastic. He was like, of course, the internet needs this. And he had also had some recent success in the WordPress space with one of his investments. So he's like, okay, I'd like to invest. And I'll also introduce you to relevant investors in the Valley. So wow. we did. And um, my partner, Josh, and I flew out in two trips for a few weeks each at a time, meeting investors from morning till night. Like we, our schedule was wow. Um Eric and this friend of mine who introduced me to Eric, I came through very much. <laughs> <laughs> he basically uh, built in instantly your, uh, your roadshow like out of thin air. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It was, it was in a way out of thin air. We were like, we had gotten to the point where we knew we needed to raise the seed round and it wasn't going to happen in Israel. And we had to go to the States and we didn't know exactly how it was going to happen. And then this introduction was made and then all the introductions to the investors were made and we flew out and, and we went from being in a situation where we were hoping to raise a million and a half and scrape that together. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. To becoming oversubscribed. To 6.5. And and the round ended, ended up being wow. bigger. Yeah, to 6.5. Wow, that's one hell of a oversubscription. <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it was. So. Yeah, it was pretty crazy because like we literally, like very quickly we went from being in a situation where we were like, please, please, please invest in us will take anyone's money, almost, almost, like as long as you seem normal, to having to tell investors no, which was really hard, like ones who had wanted to be in. And then we got to go back to them and say, like, we just don't have room. Yeah. That was I mean, actually that, that's such an important really uh, area and, and, and point to stress here. Even the best products, even the best teams have this this uh, tipping point moment where from no one understanding, because many times as entrepreneurs, we have this crazy machine running in our mind and it's really difficult to, to um, get the world to see it exactly as we see it and believe in it as we believe in it. So there's this tipping point and for you, it was with Eric Reith, author of uh, Lean Startup. With Eric, you kind of have this point where you see also with the uh, viral videos, where 
no one's in no one's interested there's this flat line flat line flat line you you try to uh be interesting to everyone but then there's this spike where everything changes and that's a tipping point and it's so important for for entrepreneurs to understand this that also in this crazy ecosystem where capital is really uh out there and you hear of uh these huge rounds it still is difficult and you still need to be sharp and i i guess you changed your pitch like a gazillion times and you had different versions of what you say to different investors and what you emphasize also part of what we talked about on the uh new year episode so how quickly was it from you meeting uh, Eric Reese to the point where you closed the the round? Oh, uh, so people say, oh, your seed round went quickly. So I'm like, well, <laughs> if you don't count the, all the meetings we had with Israeli investors, yeah, it did. <laughs> if you count the meetings with Israeli investors, it didn't. Um, so, uh, but once we like got the Eric Reese introduction and let's say we planned our flight, right? Cause we didn't like start meeting right away. So from, from the day we landed in, in San Francisco until the round was fully closed, it was, I think less than three months. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, it was like somewhere between two and three months. Yeah. So that went, that went really, when it went fast, it went really fast. Um, and yeah, I, so on the one hand, like meeting with all the Israeli investors was, um, it was hard because we kept hearing no. And by the way, we kept hearing no in San Francisco too. Mm-hmm. Um, some investors said no just on technical reasons, like uh, we don't invest in companies either outside of San Francisco or outside of the States, which is totally legitimate and that's fine. But by the way, that that already was changing then and has changed even more so since then. Like uh, a lot of these investors who were very geographically focused have expanded their their vision because they I think they understood they were missing out on opportunities. Um, but a lot of com- a lot of investors said no for other reasons. Like I don't know, they they didn't they didn't align with our vision. They didn't understand it, which is also fine. Um, but what we did learn from the no's was how to tweak our messaging. Um, on the one hand, when investors tell you no and they tell you the reason, you can't take everything that they say as uh, you know as the word of God and be like, oh, now we must change our messaging based on what they said. <laughs> Because everyone has different perspectives yeah. and it's, it doesn't mean that you need to take it seriously, but it is, it's definitely, there's definitely valuable learnings in all these conversations. So by the time we got to San Francisco, um, we were pretty polished in our pitching and messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was good. And that definitely helped. I heard from the team on Monday of Monday that when you go public, you're trying to say, the exact same thing to the to all the investors, and on a private round, you kind of touch upon uh, the 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 points uh, important for every for every investor, and the fact that you had a solid pitch uh, and you were already kind of uh, buffed out, let's call it. Um, that's I, I guess also super important in the round, which also leads me to a question of how did you close the lead investor that's oh, also a difficult yeah. <laughs> yeah that was that was really hard because uh anyone who's been through this process will probably have experienced something similar which is that you meet investor after investor and a lot mm-hmm. of them will say yes we'd love to invest once you've found your lead 
Mm-hmm. And finding that mm-hmm. lead is like finding a needle in a haystack. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> you're like, will you be our lead? Will you be our lead? It, it ended up, our lead uh, investor was a, a fund based out of LA called 10110. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, uh, and then they brought in um, Signal Fire. So they ended up in a way being co-leads, but it was, I don't know, like so many things in, in life and in definitely in the world of startups, it's about a funnel. So mm-hmm. it's about meeting and meeting and talking and talking and explaining until you find the right fit. And it's really hard to predict who is going to be the fun that resonates with what you're saying the most. And that's why uh, that comes back to what I was saying before about not shifting your messaging just because of the feedback of some investors. At a certain point, you learn to just stick with your messaging because it does resonate with some people. Um, and that is who you are. Like you, you have to also be authentic with who you are. So mm-hmm. that is who you are. And then it's a matter about find, of finding the right fit. And the right fit can be based on so many different things. It's not just, you know, there's the standard stuff, which everyone will talk about, which is like you have a big market, and you have product market fit and your team, you know, has has the background that's relevant and things like that. But also it can it also I think what plays a role is even just the chemistry between the investors and the and the founders. Like is there a click there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also that the investors have a strong enough background in in the problem you're tackling. And then yeah. And you can't always identify that. It's it's hard to tell even from their portfolio companies, which of them are the ones that are going to feel strongest about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's not very helpful, but basically it's just, you keep pounding the pavement until it comes together. <laughs> I, I guess that's kind of the part of uh, the money becoming smart money because when you talk to investors uh, from my experience, they always will say, yeah, we'll help you with a lot of things and uh, a lot of uh, areas. And you really need to check out how they really can help you. And as you said, you can't really know that until you start working together, right? Yeah. Um, so some invest, a lot of investors will try to make the case for how, how value-add they are. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, we, the, the startups, are kind of competing for their funds. But the, the, the investors themselves are also competing on the deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. so they need to stand out. So some of them can stand out because of their like huge brand, right? Like Andreessen Horowitz or mm-hmm. battery or something like they're, they're yeah. huge. They, they're like, they're fine on their own and everyone wants them. But then there's a lot of mid level funds or like mid sized funds that, um, don't have that strong brand. And so they need to make the case for why they're value add. So they'll say different things about their networks and I don't know, whatever. Some of them are honest and they'll say, we, you know, we just really believe in you and we want to be part of your journey and we'll help wherever you can. But we, mm-hmm. you know, and I actually always really appreciate that when people are just real. Yeah. Um, but it takes a, a concerted effort for a fund to really be value add. And so um, we, one of our investors is this fund signal fire and they blow everyone else out of the water in terms of value add because they actually wow. have set up teams that all they do is bring value. Like they have their wow. partners, uh, but they have teams about that. And they have a huge network they've set up, set up to connect their portfolio companies with experts in whatever area they need help with. So for example, at one point we were like, we could really use some help around user experience. And they, 
if I remember recall correctly, they connected us with like the head of user experience at Dropbox, <laughs> like seriously like that. Wow. <laughs> and when, when we needed advice on pricing, they connected us to the head of pricing at LinkedIn, who had previously been the head of pricing at Salesforce. So, wow. um, and then within Signalfire themselves, they're constantly creating value. So they have um, these, I think they call them uh, councils or something, and they're on different topics. It'll be on sales, enterprise sales, uh, hi, uh, you know, hiring your marketing team, growth, blah, blah, blah. Like, and they'll bring in like top experts and it's like a, a webinar or whatever, but it's interactive. We can ask questions on any topic and they have all these other additional resources. So um, I don't know of other funds that are like them, but I also don't know the ins and outs of every other fund. So I'm not saying they're the it's, only ones, but You know, amazing. it's really surprising what you say because the structure of a VC doesn't leave much room for uh, to, to have, you know, uh, extra teams like, you know, like you just uh, mentioned. And the fact that they do that, um, I think, shows how um, um, long-sighted their vision is because it really takes out of the, cap the, the investment capabilities uh, in the short run. In the, well, in the long run, if if they're a success a successful fund, then then you you can ride upon the money of uh, the success. But but that's amazing. I mean, that's an amazing approach of a fund. Yeah, I don't know how they structure it financially, but you know, funds aren't lacking for funds. Let's put it that way. And so <laughs> they've made it a priority to allocate some of their resources or a significant part of their resources to having um, teams around supporting their startups, I think it makes a ton of sense because giving a company mm -hmm. fund, funding is just the first step. You, if you just, if you can give them all the support that they need, and obviously it's not all the support they need because you know, there's a limit and also the fund, mm -hmm. the company needs to stand on its own. But if you like pitch in and support them, then you're probably going to see a better ROI in your investment. Um, when yep. you are helping the company succeed. So I think it's brilliant. And uh, that's just something that they've made their priority and it's very much their business model. So it also helps them. It's it's their unique selling point and it helps them stand out when talking to companies they want to invest in. Amazing. Um, so I, we can talk about funding so much more and, and on all these subjects, <laughs> but uh I want uh, I want you to have your day as well. Um, so <laughs> for um, for our listeners out there raising funds now um, in the seed round or or um, or even in further rounds, um, are you are, are there a few tips that you can share from your experience in the fundraising and also on the product side, by the way? Um, on all the journey of that that we talked about are there a few tips two or three tips that uh you want to share with the audience okay um so first of all fundraising is a is a numbers game so you really want to try to meet as many investors as possible different types of founders don't need as big a funnel uh i if you're a founder like me who's not you know, typical founder, as in I'm a woman, a female founder, you're going to need mm -hmm. a larger funnel and you're going to have to work mm -hmm. harder and you're going to have to prove yourself more. It's just the wow. name of the game. That's just how it is. So um, if you're planning on raising, already start like uh, warming up your connections um, to try to 
and like identifying people you want to meet with and just start meeting people and even meet investors to start if you can just to like talk to them about what you're doing and not actually like pitching them for funding so you can get feedback and learn from them. Um, that's number one. Number two is that all along the fundraising process, it's really important to be able to show wins, It's which is also really hard. And what I mean is wins on the business side and on the product side. Mm-hmm. It's really hard because unfortunately, fundraising is a full-time job at plus plus. Mm-hmm. Like it really just takes over your, your life. So it's really hard to keep pushing forward with the company while you're also fundraising. Um, I don't really have any advice about how to do that, but mm-hmm. hopefully between whatever limited resource like availability you have and your team, you can, you can focus on the wins. And so what that means is really prioritizing certain things that you're doing within the company to get impact. So, you know, every company has a, like a big roadmap or let's say a lot of business goals, pick the ones that, you know, will have the biggest and shiniest impact so that you can along the way go, Hey, we just signed with so-and-so and we just launched the feature X, you know, it doesn't matter if feature X mm-hmm. is like very, very complex. It matters how it looks and what impact it has. Um, stuff like that. Uh, I use the CRM to manage our investor relationships and, and the process because, you know, when the numbers scale of who you're talking to and where you're at, it's hard to keep track in your brain. So um, I use the CRM to track the stages and follow-ups. And I also use this tool mm-hmm. in my email called Jamelius so that I remember to follow up with people. We set up a data room pretty early on and we j- would keep tweaking it. Um, the data room is an online directory folder whatever of of material that like all investors want to see um and uh we set that up in google drive it was the easiest way for us to share that manage the sharing you can also put an expiration date on sharing so you don't end up having all these Mm -hmm. investors who have ongoing access to your data room and we would tweak it as we went along like if some something kept being requested we'd add it but it generally covered business model, customers, team, our deck, mm-hmm. you know, think, some white papers, uh, things like that. I want to say a big thank you to Miriam Schwab, CEO of Stratic, for sharing this insightful journey and inside look to how to build a company from ground up and get it funded. Thanks for having me. It was fun talking to you. This was episode one of TechRind's second season. Join us for our next episode coming soon.